Last week, uh, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, and Paul actually led us through Jesus' own definition of what true love is, um, that we are to consider the needs of others before our own. Now, to think of ourselves as lowly, not, not so much to think of ourselves as lowly, but really to stop thinking of ourselves before everybody else. Jesus was trying to get to the point where he's saying, look, start considering others instead of thinking about yourself all day long. Jesus ended up showing us this by washing the disciples' feet, saying that he was the leader, but still he was lowly and humble enough to consider the needs of others. And he actually truly showed us this by dying on the cross in our place for our sin. Now, this is the foundation to our memory verse. Whether you memorize this verse or not, by the time that we are done here, um, hopefully you'll at least be reminded of the power that's within these verses. We're going to say them together. It says this, and we can say it together. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And that's found in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. As we continue forward in our journey through 1 Corinthians, our main text is actually going to come from chapter 12. And I want to give you a brief overview of verse, uh, chapters 10 and 11 before we get to 12. So our main text today will be in 12, but I'm going to give you an overview of 10 and 11. In chapter 10, Paul spends a bulk of the chapter repeating and summarizing what he's been saying in chapters 8 and 9. He warns believers not to tempt Jesus by trying to follow him on one day of the week and then the idols of the world the rest of the week. He says this didn't actually end very well for the Jews who were wandering in the wilderness when they too did a lot the same. Uh, in fact, he says that on one day God had had enough of their double-mindedness in chapter 10 and he actually allowed 23,000 Israelites to die. That's actually from 10 verse 8. Now, if you sit on that for just a second, 23,000 died people who wandered through the wilderness. Remember the plagues of Egypt? These are the guys that saw them. Remember the pillar of fire that led the Israelites by night? These were the people that watched that pillar of fire. They were those Israelites. Remember when Charlton Heston raised up his staff and all of the waters parted? Well, they were there and they could tell you that Moses probably looked nothing like Charlton Heston. So they saw all of these miracles. They woke up in the morning. They saw the manna right there and ready for them. Yet despite seeing all these firsthand miracles, they saw miracles time and time again, despite seeing all of these, they still chose to follow after idols and not listen to God's warnings for their lives. So God sent a plague of snakes against them. I can actually, I'm referencing it here in 1 Corinthians. It says, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them did. And they also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. And the program just quit on me, so I'm going to reopen that one back up. Hopefully that works. We can get everything back together here in just a second. Technical difficulties. Here we go. Okay, so the only salvation from the plague that he is mentioning, if you remember the account, uh, is to look up in faith at a bronze snake that God actually instructed Moses to, uh, to make. He constructed it. It was a symbol of sin being lifted up as one day Jesus would die on a cross, taking on the sin punishment for us uh, later uh, in time. The main point of chapter 10 is actually found in verse 21. Chapter 10, verse 21 says this. It says, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord 
and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. You're like, okay, that's a weird main point of chapter 10. He says you can't serve God and the world. You can't serve both God and the world. You have to choose one or the other. You don't get to justify your failures throughout the week because you came here on Sunday. God wants all of you all of the time. It's not when it's just convenient for you. By chapter 11, he gives instruction on leadership within the family and within the church. Actually, much of the discussion boils down to his opening statement in chapter 11, verse 1, where he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, when he's talking about leadership. The second half of chapter 11 is dedicated to the instructions on communion. So apparently they were having some problems with communion. So what was happening is the church people started bringing their own meals, and they were starting to have these huge meals. People who had money brought really big meals, and people who didn't have money, they sometimes didn't bring anything. And what was happening in chapter 11 as he's referencing it is they would eat these meals in church together. But the problem is if you didn't have anything, you're just sitting there looking at the other guy with the really big feast. So it kind of got awkward. And so what was happening is the prime focus of what Christ did for us was being lost. Paul's like, look, eat at home, come to observe this, but do your, do your food and everything at home so it's no longer a, uh, a huge frustration between you and other people. But all of his instructions so far, and even what he's about to go into, all have a central theme as he's talking about different people within the church, because today our message is the body of Christ. So today we're going to be looking at the body of Christ, and you can see that that body is made up of many parts, many gears all working together. We're going to be talking about that. Today we're going to look at chapter 12. We're going to be discussing spiritual gifts. We're going to be looking at what they are, who they're for, and what their purpose is. Today we have three main points. We have many gifts and one Lord, jealous body parts, and God's good design. And I'll go over those again as we reach each and every single point. So if you miss them now, don't worry, you'll get them in a little bit. So many gifts and one Lord. Let's jump right into the text. If you've got your Bibles open, we're going to be jumping right in to chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I'll be reading out of the New King James. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that, that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, spiritual gifts is not a common topic that we see a lot in conservative circles. We don't talk about them very much. I think a part of that comes from the fear of how to properly use them and to properly instruct in their intended use through our lives by the Spirit of God as we follow his leading in our lives. Now, with that said, you'll notice that Paul begins this section by saying, Brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant. What he's saying here is there is a tool that God has given for your express purpose and use, whether you realize it or not, and he wants to instruct you on how to use it. Now, when it comes to tools, I have a garage full of them. Um, I, my military MOS, my first job, uh, was a combat engineer. And as a combat engineer, we had this saying. Uh, the saying was that um, we were a jack of all trades and a master of none. A jack of all trades and a master of none. We did a little bit of everything, from blowing it up to building it back up after we blew it up. I mean, we did both ends of the spectrum. And the problem is I've actually pulled that all the way into the tools that I have in my garage. My wife will tell you that I have a ridiculous amount of tools, but I don't feel like I do. Mostly what I have are specific tools for specific jobs. 
You see, I've seen a house, and I've seen it at every single building phase, so I know a little bit about everything. So I have tools for plumbing, I have tools for welding, I have tools for bending and shaping, I have what you name it, but each tool has a very limited scope, except for maybe the hammer and the sledge and a couple of other things, but for the most part, most of my tools have a very small scope, and it takes a large amount of learning to actually understand how to properly use each tool that I have. To take advantage of those is a commitment. And this is kind of what Paul is saying. He's saying, God has gifted you each with tools that are very specific to your calling in life. God has gifted you with tools that are very specific to your calling in life. These are going to help you greatly if you learn how to use them. And you and I are both to learn how to use them and to use them well. And it will benefit us not only here and now, but also for the kingdom of God as a whole. He has an intended purpose of them. If you look at the end of that set of verses, you're going to notice that there is only one pre-qualification to the tools. You just have to call Jesus Lord. This is the basis for the spiritual gifts. If you have the spirit of the Lord within you, which makes a lot of sense, there are two other things that are very interesting to note here about the spiritual gifts that he just mentioned in verses 1 through 3. One is unspoken and the other is mentioned. You're going to notice that there are no other limitations given except that you are a believer. There's no mention of age, no mention of gender, position within the church. None of that is mentioned. The only thing is that you are a believer. So what he's about to say is open to every believer. Apparently these gifts are given by God's discretion to any believer. Now, the other thing here is that these are indeed gifts. Let's read the next part of what he's saying. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 7. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Lord. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but all is the same God who works in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for profit of all. Now, from what I gather, there are really two different types of people. Those who love Christmas and those who love Christmas. My brother-in-law is a person that falls in the second category who loves Christmas. He has an app on his phone that is a Christmas counter downer. It tells him how many days until Christmas at all times, and he will whip it out at any time of the year, and he will know. You ask him, and he will tell you their exact amount of days towards Christmas. He is always looking forward to it. Now, most will agree that Christmas is about gifts. In recent years, in our society, we have gone to this point where we give people lists of the gifts that we would like to receive. Uh, I've got a pre-selected list. I'd love to see the ones that are on this list, so thank you very much. And you give that to your loved ones so that they know, so you're not upset. But a true gift is that something is chosen by someone that you haven't a clue what it is. That's a true gift. A true gift comes when you don't have a clue, but you love it the minute you see it. And when you get it, it's like, how did I deal without this? They know you personally, and they get you the gift, and you have no idea what it is. And all of a sudden, it's like, I love it. This is, this is perfect. It's not something you asked for specifically, but they knew you well enough to give it to you. And this is where Paul is going here. You don't get to choose the spiritual gift that you receive, because it's a gift. God gets to choose it for you. When God chooses it for us, there's also a bunch of other gifts that are useful for different situations. So he's going to give different gifts for different situations. But there's still one God that gives them all. So if we look at the gifts, we're going to look at them in verses 8 through 11. Let's look at them, verses 8 through 11. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, 
To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. And to another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. And to another, interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now, this isn't actually a complete set list of all the gifts that are referenced in the New Testament. There's actually more. We're going to focus on these because they're in our text. So we're just going to look at these ones today. Each of these gifts ministers to a different area of need. So from speaking the right words at the right time to knowing what to say or when not to say something, there's an important point here that can be easily overlooked. In verse 7, there was a pre-qualifier that he said that I actually skipped over personally. It said, it began with, but the manifestation of the Spirit. The manifestation is the key word here. Manifestation. You probably see it in your Bible. I don't know if it's translated differently in yours. These gifts are a visible materialization of the Spirit working through us. The manifestation means materialization of the Spirit working through us. Now, the Spirit gets to choose when it happens and when it doesn't. So this is an incredibly important point that can't be overlooked. How do I know that this is the Spirit choosing when and how to work through us? Because in all reality, there are some circles in Christianity that would say otherwise. Well, outside of the wording here, anyone here could, anyone here know of someone that would be more likely to use a gift whenever and however than Paul? Paul used gifts all the time. We, we, we read about them. And in fact, actually, he spoke people into blindness just at a command. Uh, he commanded demons to leave. In Acts 19, this is how far God was starting to use Paul for gifts. Check it out in Acts 19. I'll put it up on the screen. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. I don't know about you, but my sweaty work clothes need a miracle themselves. They're not going to produce miracles, okay? If you've ever taken your clothes off at the end of the day, they don't give off a miracle. They need one. Now, Paul's ability to produce these miracles, in all reality, seems unstoppable by this text. It's like, what is the crazy stuff? In fact, actually, Luke records it. He's like, these are unusual. He just he straight out says, but in 2 Timothy, we're going to find these words from Paul's own hand. In 2 Timothy, it says this, he says, greet Prissa and Aquila and the household of one's forests. Erastus stayed in Corinth. And then here I got this last part. But Trompus I have left in Miletus sick. But Trompus I have left in Miletus sick. The man who just gave sweaty handkerchiefs to people to heal them of diseases had to leave a friend and a fellow worker of the gospel and Trompus sick. Paul wasn't in charge of when and how the gifts manifested. This is a key part right here. Paul wasn't in charge. The Spirit of the Lord was. Why, might you ask, is this such a critical point? In the early church, and even within the church today, there are going to be some pretty strong divisions that you're going to find as you go to different churches and different Christian circles. People seek to wield the spiritual gifts. It's actually the reason why he's writing, is people are trying to make it their own superpower that they can use on command. You're going to find that there are people that still attempt to do this today. And this is a very important point. So what we end up coming up with is jealous body parts. We have jealous body parts. So what was happening is that someone would become jealous of another person's gift. As a result, there were divisions that were starting to occur within the church. And Paul was trying to redirect everyone back to the fact that there is one spirit, one God, and one body of Christ. Now let's pick up in verses 12, chapter 12, verse 15 through 17. 15 through 17. 
If a foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is there therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? And if the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? We're probably each familiar with driving down the road and looking at these beautiful houses and going, man, I wish I lived there. You ever, you ever driven down, you're just like, that would be a nice place to live. Unfortunately, we have a tendency to, to, to have this comparison syndrome and we bring it into our church lives, into our spiritual lives. It starts somewhere else and we bring it in. We say, I wish I could speak like them. I wish I had their confidence. I wish I could sing like him. And the list goes on. And we spend our time wishing we were more like somebody else. And we do far more harm than we realize at first. There's a book series called The Chronicles of Narnia. It's by C.S. Lewis. I've quoted him often. And one of the books, he calls The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, uh, the main young lady, her name is Lucy, um, wishes that she was more beautiful, a lot like her older sister, if you've ever seen the movie or read the book. She ends up having this very vivid dream where she is her sister. And the dream actually becomes a nightmare because her absence, as she is now her sister and she is no longer there, sets her siblings on a completely different life course. And everything goes sideways and it goes horribly wrong. And the dream soon turns out, like I said, as a nightmare. And Aslan, the lion, the picture of Christ within the stories of the Chronicles of Narnia, says this to her. He says, you wished yourself away and with it much more. You doubt your value. Don't run from who you are. Instead of focusing on who God have made them each to be, the gifts that God had specifically chosen just for them, the Corinthian church preoccupied themselves with wishing that they were somebody else. They were having the same problem. Paul is rebuking and he's stating, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? Where would be the hearing if everybody was the same? He then again reminds them in verses 18 through 19. In verses 8 through 19, he says this, but now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? You see, we are each designed differently for a specific purpose. God designed you for a very specific and unique purpose. This goes beyond spiritual gifting. To wish you were taller or handsome like them. To wish you were like they are. To wish, who, to wish that you were like them is to wish away who God created you to be. To wish that you were somebody else is to wish away who God created you to be your impact on the church would disappear as well because God created you specifically to fulfill a purpose that only you can fulfill. If you continue reading in Paul's argument here in verses 22 through 25, chapter 12, verse 22 through 25, we come into this. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think are less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it. And that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. This is actually going to bring us to our final point of God's good design. Those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, is what Paul was saying. Did you catch when he said that? Have you ever felt weaker when comparing yourself to somebody else? I'm a little bit weaker than them. Have you ever felt less than adequate? Like you come up short in life? 
those around you, they just seem to be better off and better suited for what they're doing than you do. This is why he says, those which seem to be weaker are necessary. You see, I don't know God's entire plan, not for my life and definitely not for yours. But what's interesting here is that your existence, both right here and right now, is not an accident. God designed you exactly for right now. When you look at verses like the one that we just looked at, and then you compare it to Psalm 139, where it says, you knit me in my mother's womb, and you know all the hairs on my head. When the psalmist is describing God's intricate details of uh, detailing his life and actually counting him and putting him together, we realize that God in his infinite wisdom has chose what he was going to do when he was creating each and every single one of us. He actually chose the purpose that he had for us in creating us. He chose when you would be born. He chose your gender, which home you would arrive in, and he allowed the physical limitations that you currently have to come in as they would help define you. Your physical limitations define you. Paul finalizes his argument in these closing verses, and he says in 27 through 31, 27 through 31, it says this, Now you are the body of Christ, and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophet, third teachers, after that miracles, then the gift of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues, I said varieties, varieties, wow. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I will show you a more excellent way. I personally find it interesting that Paul actually numbers these. He actually says first, second, third. He's actually got a numerical sequence here. What's interesting is that the gift that was being argued about, which was speaking in tongues, everybody wanted to be able to speak in tongues because it was the cool gift. It was actually lowered all the way to the last position on all of the gifts on that list. He actually did that on purpose. I think it was to make a point. We as a people love the idea of seeing the miraculous. We want to show the world that nothing is impossible, to have God just show up and wipe the floor of their argument, to show that he has the power, that he can do what he has said that he can do. Wouldn't that be amazing to see God just show up and do a miracle and be like, yeah, that's awesome. Yes, my God exists. Ah, told you, in your face. We say, God, if you would just do this one thing, if you would show up right now, and we falsely believe that if you would show a miracle, we would never doubt again. Anyone ever wish here for a sign? I just, I want a sign, Lord, please, please just give me a sign. Anyone ever wish God would just show up in some undeniable way and confirm your faith? Just right on the spot, please God, just show up right now. You would confirm all of my faith. This is where the big picture comes in. I just said, and if you caught it, we falsely believe that if you would show a miracle, we'd never doubt again. And that's a pretty strong claim for me to assume that if you saw a miracle right now that you would still doubt again. So I'm gonna back this one up. I began this message by looking at an overview of chapter 10. And Paul began that chapter by saying the people that lived through all of the miracles of Moses' day saw all of those miracles. They saw the plagues of Egypt. They walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. They uh, ate the manna that God provided. Uh, they drank water from a rock. Uh, they, oh, here's one. I, I love this one. This one's great. This is, uh, this is for all the moms out there right here. In Deuteronomy 8, 4, it says, Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell for these, what? 40 years. You didn't get swollen feet, and your clothes didn't get holes in them, okay? I've got jeans that last less than two weeks sometimes, depending on what I'm doing, okay? 
40 years, they're camping, okay? Camping is the worst on your clothes. If you've ever gone camping, it's just like these guys are ruined. You you throw them away when you get back because they're in such bad shape. 40 years, miracle. And they never once had their clothes wear out. Think of that for just a second. These are the same people that saw all these miracles and they doubted God and they died because of it. If miracles produced lasting faith, if miracles produced lasting faith, then God wouldn't have had to ask more than once. Thomas wouldn't have doubted. The Pharisees would have believed in Jesus. Pharaoh would have let God's people go. But miracles don't produce lasting faith. They don't change the real problem. You know what the real problem is? It's the heart. In fact, Paul's last words of this chapter point only to one thing. He says that love is the real changing factor. He says, I will show you a more excellent way. And he's actually pointing towards what he's about to write in chapter 13. He says, you can aspire to all these gifts and I'm gonna show you something better than all of these combined. And he's gonna go into love. And that's actually gonna be our next sermon as we're gonna be talking about that particular one. So let's wrap up today. There are many gifts and there is one Lord. So I've got some questions for you. Number one, have you discovered what gift God has given to you? Have you discovered what gift God has given to you? Spiritual gifts are just that. They're enabled by the Spirit. This isn't an enhancing of a natural ability that you already had before salvation. This is actually a complete enabling of something that was not possible before. So an example is my ability to speak in front of you. Before I got saved, number one, I would not speak for more than about two minutes. And even if I'm in a conversation, I'm the guy that's just sitting there nodding. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm not really talking, okay? That is a spiritual gift of being able to preach and be okay and comfortable with it and actually happy with it. We each have a gift. Now, here's a second point. Have you been comparing what you think you lack to what somebody else has? Have you been comparing what you think you lack to what somebody else has? Comparison robs uh, robs us of our joy. God designed you differently on purpose. Have you ever asked God the role that he prepared you for? Have you ever asked him, what role am I here for? Of all eternity, of all eternity, from the very beginning to the very end, he chose to put you here and now during this time frame. He did it on purpose. It wasn't an accident. Have you ever asked him why? You see, God has prepared each and every single one of us, and he gives us a gift that only operates through the Spirit at his will, not ours. God wants to use you. Ask him why. Rely on him and step forward and be used the way that you were created to glorify him and find the joy that you so desperately seek. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you so much uh, for the message that we can listen and and we can see in your, your talking to us and reminding us that you love each and every single one of us, that you created us with purpose and great care as the psalmist tells us that you knitted us together and you can count the cares, uh, the hairs on our head. Lord, I've been in this body a long time and I still don't know how many hairs I do, but you know everybody's, not just one person's, but everybody's. Father, I thank you for loving us so much and knowing so much about us. Teach us about ourselves, Father. Help us to trust you, to turn to you, to lean into you. Lord, I ask that you help us to know your will for our lives. God, I thank you so much for a day. Give us an opportunity and help us not to fail. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this is Pastor Jake. I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to these messages that we put online. 
I do pray that these are helpful for the times you just can't be with us in person. I want to remind you that this recording is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be in a community of faith where the Word of God is being preached and proclaimed. We are told by Scripture to gather together so that we each belong to a local body of believers where we are being shaped by being known by using each of our gifts and walking faithfully in God's Word. So thank you again so much for listening and growing with us. I hope you enjoyed today's message.